This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Driving in Florida, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Surviving the Roadways of the Sunshine State. And the author is Howard Grossbard, and Howard joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Howard. Hello. I guess you've just said it all in the title. It's politically incorrect, and it's all about surviving the roadways of Florida. <laughs> what, what spurred this on? Well, I've lived in Florida now for over 30 years. I've driven all over the state, two wheels, four wheels, and it seems like there are just continually recurrent problems with drivers on the road We encounter, I encounter on an almost daily basis. And um, I got tired of um, ranting at drivers through windows, which is not a very effective way of communicating, so I thought it might be of interest to uh, pen it and um, and see what kind of um, response we could get. Because there is a mentality of, yes, I do own the road. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So a humorous compendium, as you call it, of the most common dysfunctional driving behaviors encountered on Florida's roads. Right. And how to deal with them. Give us, give us an example. Well, I think the, the first chapter, I, I ordered the chapters in terms of severity of behavior dysfunction, and the first chapter is the worst, and that's stoplights and, and major intersections. Uh, it, it seems like Florida drivers have their own interpretation of what stop, stoplights mean. Uh, a green light means to just speed. An orange light means, well, I better accelerate. And the red light means drive through the intersection before anyone else does. So it's exactly the opposite of what most rational people uh, would would do at stop at, at stoplights. You call it intersection insanity. Yes, and this leads to some interesting scenarios. Uh, if you are at a red light and your light turns green, the last thing you want to do is head out into that intersection without looking right and left a bunch of times because <laughs> someone is going to speed through the intersection. And conversely, if you are coming to an intersection and your light turns orange and you, and red and you think you're going to stop, you better make sure there's no one tailgating you because they're expecting you to go through that red light. So intersections are deadly. Learn what to watch for, how to avoid dangerous situations, and even how to get some practice in dealing with dysfunctional behaviors you will surely experience. Right. Now, there's a chapter called Gators versus Gators. And, of course, we're, it's a play on spelling here because we have Gators, G-A-T-O-R-S, versus Gators, G-A-T-E-R-S. Right. Well, of course, you know, Florida is famous for the Gators, the University of Florida mascot, the G-A-T-O-R-S. But one of the worst problems on the road uh, is tailgating. Um, and um, uh, drivers don't seem to understand the concept of distances and spacing between vehicles at certain speeds, and consequently, people are on your tail continuously. 
and it, this leads to many close calls, fender benders galore, lots of accidents. And we also have illustrations of trying to put a little bit more humor into this out-of-the-left-field conclusion. Yes, well, I think the illustration about the gators, I think, is probably the high point of the book. Um, of course, it's, we used it for the cover as well, and that shows a big gator driving a Hummer about to run over a guy in a little minicar. So I think that pretty well sums up the that chapter. Then we have what everyone is <laughs> probably uh, always being accused of, especially in today's age of text, texting and cell phones, uh, this hands-free driving. Yes. You know, I can't make this stuff up. You know, <laughs> no, I don't you can't. sit there saying, gee, let's, let's think about this. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen a young gal, you know, doing her makeup, drink coffee, or on the phone, or all of the above, and they're driving, and, okay, who's, uh, who's operating the steering wheel here? Um, I mean, it's craziness, but it does happen. Driving with the knees or the legs. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Maybe we need to have uh, some some additional equipment put into cars, uh, like they do in planes, where everyone can right. yeah, drive with up, their heads, feet. Heads, yeah, or heads-up display with, <laughs> yeah. with your eyes, yes, right. There you go. There you go. So, and, and I think the illustration there is, is really quite good. Now, uh, we all know what water can do to a greasy highway. Is that what you're talking about here? Yes. For some reason, people... Do not feel that rain on, or water on the road is any reason to slow down. And uh, consequently, uh, the, the, you know, when you get a heavy downpour, the number of accidents you see is just uh, mind-boggling. You drive down the highway and you'll see all these cars stranded in the median because they've skidded off or they, they've been hit or, or what. Uh, people just don't realize that, that they need to adjust the speed to the conditions. I mean, it sounds so commonsensical. In fact, the entire book sounds so commonsensical, you wonder why even write some of this stuff. Well, the problem is people don't do commonsensical stuff on a regular basis. What's a three-lane Monty? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, three-lane Monty is someone say, gee, I'm in the right-hand lane, but I really want to make a left-hand turn. <laughs> yeah. And here I go. So they'll go, they'll switch from the right to the left to the turn lane in one fell swoop and hopefully not have a close encounter with anyone else in, in the area. And just recently, I saw one of those right here in Texas. Okay. <laughs> so it's yeah. not unique. Good. Well, I mean, it's, it's, again, I can't make this stuff up. No, no, no. And, of course, when we think of Florida, we think of senior citizens. Yes, yes. Now, I have a whole chapter about the two populations of senior citizens. There are those who live here full-time, and then there are those who, you know, come down in the, you know, in the winter, the snowbirds, or what I call the birds of snow. And they have unique, unique problems, um, whether it's medical or just changes of, in driving skills related to aging that they sometimes don't uh, deal well with, they don't compensate for, and they can drive some of us nuts. Is there some type of special mentality that pickup drivers have? I wish I knew, and I raised the issue in the book. Is it is it the mentality that draws them to drive pickup trucks, or do they get a behind the wheel of a pickup truck and say, "Wow, this is really fun," and they go crazy? I'm not sure which comes first, but pickup trucks will run you off the road 
on a regular basis if given the opportunity. Yesterday I drove to work and within this course of about five or six miles, three pickup trucks either cut me off or swerved around me, even though I wasn't doing anything wrong or speed or location-wise, just three in a row. And I said, and one of them was actually towing a trailer. I mean, it's craziness. It's craziness. Now, you ride a motorcycle a lot. I did. Uh, well, you did. <laughs> I came to my senses. Oh, yeah. My, my wife had had it. Uh, and so, but it, was just, it just really wasn't much fun driving on the roads here anymore. In fact, uh, motorcycles, you know, a lot of motorcycle accidents, and, and there are a lot of bicycle accidents yes. because of a lot of, uh, because of the older drivers, they don't see very well, and people get hit all the time. It's just, just not much fun. The Traveling Road Show. Now, what's that? <laughs> Those, uh, that was, this is my rant chapter. This is where I just rant about <laughs> all the distractions that, you know, draw people's attention away from what they should be paying attention to. Um, whether it's uh, weird bumper stickers or the, uh, it, the, 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 the things on windows in, in, in memory of someone who just got killed, or the stick figure families, or the crucifixes on the side of the road, the sign waivers. I mean, there's always something to uh, distract people's attention. And I, and I think I don't think there's anything to do about it, but I think it's it's just one other contributor to uh, to risky driving. It seems like there are some people who understand when the emergency vehicle is coming, but others I don't know if they understand what's going on or they don't seem to want to stop a lot of people a lot of times. Right. Uh, do you see that in Texas also? Oh, yes. Okay, good. So it's not just unique to us. We're very good at stopping for funerals, but when it comes to emergency <laughs> vehicles, I'm not sure anybody really understands what to do. Yes, I, th- I think that's absolutely correct. And, and, and I think in Florida, with our population, some people don't even realize they're there. The ones can't see them, can't hear them. <laughs> and then, what do you mean by bumper cars? Well, this was my uh, my revelation. You know, how do you how do you deal with people swerving, stopping, doing crazy things in the road? And I just woke up one night. I said, "Man, go do a bumper car ride and see if you can survive the ride without hitting anyone." Uh, and it might just in a might just teach you how to avoid. I, it was really a tongue in cheek conclusion, uh, but that was one place where you could you could practice avoidance behaviors without ruining your vehicle. Of course, your whole purpose here, you say your goals are honorable and sincere. You really want to help others. That's important to you. Yeah, I think uh, deep down, I've thought about it. The theme, the underlying theme is we're all in this together on the roads. And (laughs) everyone's behavior and driving habits affects other people. And, you know, if you do something silly, uh, it's not just going to affect you. It has the potential to affect other people in serious ways. So we, uh, that's really ultimately the goal, to just bring people's attention to um, better driving habits and um, hopefully, um, you know, I- improve um, how they handle vehicles on the road. They're, they're, these vehicles can be weapons of mass destruction the way they, they're driven nowadays. So we all need to adapt some defensive strategies to reduce our own risks. Again, it sounds so commonsensical. Right. Why write a book about it? But when you see what's happening on the road, you say, gee, why are people doing this stuff? Well, we take it for granted. We just climb in that car and take off, and we normally don't think about the risk or danger. Absolutely. Right. Fascinating, fascinating, Howard. The title of the book, 
driving in Florida, and I guess it could be in any state, but Howard has picked out Florida because that's where he lives. The politically incorrect guide to surviving the roadways of the Sunshine State. Howard, tell us how to get your book. It's available uh, easiest by um, uh, going to authorhouse.com. Just order it at authorhouse.com. It is also available at Barnes & Nobles and Amazon. Thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Whether you're four and a half or 100, you can retrain your brain. Learning RX, the radio show, is on toginet.com Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time with Martin Kruger. Learning RX programs are quick, they're efficient, they're life changing, and they're permanent. Unlike tutoring, cognitive skills training or brain training targets the root issue causing learning struggles. Time and money spent on chronic tutoring is a clear signal of cognitive skill deficiency. That's where Learning RX comes in. Call today, 903 617 6899. 903 617 6899. Then join us for the show here every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And take advantage of the power it holds to improve your life. There are so many brain training issues that Learning RX can help you with. It's not a product, it's an experience. So join us for Learning RX, the radio show with Martin Kruger. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. was sad, right. cause he had a death kill mommy and dad, right. but that ain't the case, nope. it wasn't his fate, nope. the wives never struggled to communicate, <laughs> y'all wave your hands, look who's on, it's Dakota Man Keith and he's number one, it's That Keith Wine Show on Togginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central, every week That Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us, to hopefully help us better understand others, the topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community, for more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWanWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Divine Intervention, The Messenger, Book One. And the author is Glenn Siegel, and Glenn joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Glenn. How you doing, Steve? Good to have you with us now. We're going to get into the details but first, we just want to talk about, in general, what your book is about. Uh, you, you call it a political, religious satire that abounds in a story that touches every area of our existence. And you introduce us to the messenger that he has come to save the world? Yes. Well, my book chronicles a messenger from God as he recruits disciples and launches a brand new religion that sweeps the planet. You, That's a good general... Um, okay, very good. Gen- ...general saying there. And you call this a speculative novel. Yes, because it's very close to being real. It could be a real story. So we get to know 
Bob Griffin and Lisa Holmes. Let's start. Now, these become disciples of the messenger, and he goes by, what's his name that he goes by? Well, he goes by Matthew Wells is his, is his name that he uses, and around everybody else it's the messenger, and that's what it, it, the publicity and everything says is, is, is he's the messenger. So he's from another world. You don't really know that. That's the thing that's interesting about the book. You don't know who he really is or where he comes from until the third book. So this is a series of three books. This is the first one. Uh, why this theme, Glenn? Why did you choose to uh, go with this kind of theme? I never even thought I would be writing a book. A few years back, I came across a story I'd written as a, as a teenager called The Messiah, and in that book, in that short story, I wrote about how he he appeared in Philadelphia, and he was not very happy with the way things were going with his flock. He thought that people were getting too materialistic, and he was very angry. And that was about a forty-page story that I wrote. And I just found that recently, over the last eight years, going through a actually it was a Stephen King book, The Stand. It was tucked in in the middle of there, the pages, and. I, I found myself blessed with a job where I have a lot of time on my own, and I was doing a lot of reading of biography and fiction and nonfiction. And one day I just thought, when I came across that, this is um, an opportunity for me to express a lot of things that I feel that is wrong about the way people are in the world and the way people treat each other, and also have this uh, religion, uh, religious um phenomenon, I, I, I call it, uh, you know, it overtakes people to kill other people and to harm other people and to, and to go along with the point of the media in a way to brainwash people. So this messenger is a self-appointed prophet. Yes. And it's sort of a mystery. You don't, like I said before, you don't know exactly who he is, where he came from, and really what his, what his motives are. So you see, obviously, a real uh, need for something dramatic to get people's attention because of all the greed and lack of empathy for each other on, on the planet right now. Yes, I believe money has a lot to do with that, and, and it, it makes people that are, are with these strong people, like coveting weaklings, where you know what they're trying to live a life that, they see on TV and through the, through the media is telling them to be, and that's really taking them, taking them towards um, uh, like false values and materialistic type of things that are not really that important, has no intrusive um, value, and it's very, very sad. And I see that most people fall, fall, fall right for it. It, it. It's easier to just take what, you know, what is given to us and, and pan it down our throat every day in newspapers, on TV. The commercials are very good at, at, at doing that, at ridiculing things that are important and making things that really have no importance seem like they're, they're the most important things in the world for people. Now tell us, first of all, about Bob Griffin. Well, it's about Bob Griffin and his family. They have, they're a family that lives in northeast Philadelphia, and that's where my novel is set at. That's, that's a very important thing. That's where I grew up at. And not too many things, any, any kind of writings, videos, music, anything comes from that area of Oxford Circle, Castor Gorge, which is part of northeast Philadelphia. So I had that play a role. Bob Griffin lives, lives there with his 
younger brother and his father. Their mother was killed in a, a, by a drunk driver about 10 years before the story begins. And they have a very um, unique relationship, and along with their friends, uh, Kevin Ryan is very important. And that's actually a friend of mine who just died recently. I use, I use actual people, and I try to have what happens is that the messenger actually meets these people and cures them from different problems they have, and they don't want to, to do much greater things with their lives than, you know, than, than they would otherwise. And Bob Griffin is very tight with his brother and his father, and they have a dog named Mo, and they, they form a uh, kind of unit. They live in an area where there's not too many Anglo uh, white people around anymore. It's mostly um, foreign people that are first and second gener- generation here in, in this country. And I just bring out, you know, the hardships and the good parts about, uh, about you know, how America is right now. And then there's Lisa Holmes. How does, how does Lisa have a relationship with Bob? They're going out for the last two or three years. Lisa Holmes comes from Rydal, Pennsylvania, a very rich area. Her father, who's also a major character in the book, is his name is Nicholas Holmes. He owns a huge real estate conglomerate, and they have a big mansion with all you know on ten acres of land with all the bells and whistles. And Lisa is, is used to living that type of lifestyle. Her room is as big as her friend Sloan in the novel, who's also very important, is as big as her whole apartment. She has her own little spa, a soft stone tub, and, and, and all, all the things that money can buy. But she's not really happy because she, she feels uncomfortable around her house at the same time because her dad, who gives her all those things, has little pickups everywhere. He has cameras everywhere, and he can record any minute uh, sound. So she, at the same time, she feels you know, uh, happy to, to, to come to a, a huge mansion where she has pools and things of that nature. But at the same time, she's very nervous about that. She feels like she's being watched and, and recorded all the time. And her father is, is, is a pretty interesting character. He, he, he uh, wants to control her life as close as possible. He had several other kids, and they're out of the house. And he has a younger son, but Lisa, he's really, he, he really is focused on, and he hopes that she's going to get a degree from Temple University in education, but he doesn't really know even why he feels that strongly about it. And he, he is very unhappy when she um, quits Temple University at the end of the semester and, and says to him that she's going to pursue uh, the, this religious type of, uh, of career, where she's like sort of a high priestess of, of religion, spin and modulation. Yes, and the messenger preaches this discipline called spin and modulation. Tell us about that. Very interesting story. When I was writing the plot, I did a lot of research into religion because that had a lot to do with the plot. So I studied the five major religions, the Hindu and Buddhism, Christianity. I used the uh, Kabbalism for the Jewish and and um, I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's all the religions. But as I studied them and, and I found, the, the, I tried to find the, the source of each one of them, the thing that really got me, I came up with something called spin modulation, which is, is based on vibrations. My conjecture is that the, the creator, all that is, or whatever you want to call the creator, um, you, he, he gave us the ability to to perceive reality through our senses. And the way we do that is through vibrations. 
And I took the three main vibrations, the vibrations of sound, which I call modulations, the vibration of color, which I call inner circle channeling, and the vibration of, um, of motion, which I call spin. And my conjecture is that if all three of these vibrations are lined up properly, that you'll be able to have a, a opening to the cosmos where you'll be able to get the energy you need and also be able to relax and think clearly. And it really, it, 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 that is what he bases his religion on, spin and modulation. And you can, you can meditate and go into other realms, including the realm of people that are, you know, or, or, or have died here on the earth plane. And he does that in this book, and towards the end of my series, you know, he connects with, with Jesus Christ and with Muhammad, and he does this through um, Jared Garcia from the Grateful Dead fame, and also Neil Cassidy with, uh, on the road and sort of the hippie that the Grateful Dead really um, used as a mentor. Now, Christian right. fanatics and uh, Muslim extremists are against this. They want to stop this religion that's sweeping the planet. Right, because it's taken away their people. A lot of, not just those, or a lot, a, a lot of uh, Jewish and synagogues, they're losing a lot of people. The, Christ, the Catholic Church is losing a lot of people, and Islam is losing a lot of people because this this religion, when it spreads around, they, people learn about it, makes sense to them, and they start practicing this religion. And his temples that he builds all over the world are called spheres, and they're round buildings. They're taken from the existing building and made into a round building. And when, when who I call seekers, people that are seeking um, enlightenment, um, get into these temples, they really, just going inside these, these, this building puts you on a, a different kind of euphoria, just the angles of it, because it's round, and we're not used to, especially in this country, going into round buildings. And, you know, people start practicing the discipline and start seeing the benefits of it, and, they, and of course, they, they start leaving... The, you know, the Catholic Church and the, the synagogues and, and, and the mosques, because this, this is something that they can do right now. The messenger often says that this is, he's not trying to get people um, to do something after they die, be rewarded after they die for something they're doing now. What they're doing, what, they're, what he wants to do is change the world right here and now on the, on the earth plane by people raising their vibrations, and this religion helps them do that. And so the messenger sends Bob Griffin and his pal Kevin Ryan on a mission to recruit disciples all over the world. Yeah, in the first book I show that they go to Paris first, and they recruit a guy who was forging all these different um, leather things, um, pocketbooks and everything from all the different designers, and he, 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 he has to convince him that he's a messenger from God, and he, he cures um, his, the, 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 this, this guy Pierre Sonnet, who's a French black Frenchman, he cures his son of, um, of one foot being shorter than the other. He wants to play soccer, and in a matter of an hour or so, he, he makes his, his son so he can run as good, you know, as good as anybody else, and you know, he does whatever it takes to convince people. His, his disciples even, I know uh, we're talking about Kevin and Bob on their journey, but next they go to, to Tel Aviv, and they recruit a, um, a, a um, Jewish guy there. I have his name is, is, is David uh, Solomon. And um, I'm sorry, David Bronstein. Um, there's so many names in my book that I get a little bit confused myself. <laughs> who was running, who's just running sort of like a 7 Eleven in, in Tel Aviv. And he's part of a secret organization that I bring out 
um, it's called Cabal, and that comes from Cabalism, but it's an organization that supposedly has been around for centuries and centuries, and I don't know if you saw, uh, what, what was it called, Brad Pitt, the movie that was just on um, uh, about about a Jewish squad that goes behind enemy lines and really wreaks a lot of havoc on the Nazis during the Second World War. This, this is the kind of organization that does, did that through history from the Spanish Inquisition up. Um, Inglorious Bastards is the name by um, Tarantino of the, of the movie I was just thinking of. And he finds, he, uh, the message, my messenger knows that this guy is part of this organization, and he wants to hook up with that organization to help stop some terrorist attacks happen, you know, that is going to happen in the future of the story. And there's a theme that the media plays a dramatic part of literally the, uh, the destruction of what's happening on the earth today. Well, the media tells us in so many different ways how to act, what to do to covet our neighbor, that if we don't have what somebody else has, we, you know, we feel like a loser. And the big thing that the that he's trying to do here and what the media does, which is, which is evil, is convinces people that by spending money, they're successful in life. Where that's not true, and as we see, the people that have all the money in the world, they keep buying themselves materialistic things with all that money, and they, just, they don't understand why they're not happy, because happiness does not come from spending money. You could be a success in, in this world. In my book, what I deem a success is raising your vibration getting enlightened a little bit more, doing some meditation into, in, into, um, into light, and you pick your color, you pick your progression of notes, your modulation, and you're able to go above all this, all, all this material stuff. You, know, get, have, you have to have this car, you have to live in this kind of house, you have to have this kind of wife, and it's, it's, all, it's very petty things, and it, like I said before, it, it has no real intrinsic value. And... I try to, yeah, and the media, they, they, they pump into people's heads that the, the men have to just watch sporting events and not really have time to think about what's happening in, in, their, in their township and in their state and in their country and in the world. And the women, they have the reality shows and, and they have these social networks that are very, very um, shallow that people spend a lot of their time on, not to mention all the video games of war. I know my own son plays them. Uh, for hours and hours a day where you're, uh, you know, he's blessed not to be over in, in Iraq or Afghanistan fighting, but uh, they, they, he comes home every day looking forward to, to, to killing people. And it's a very powerful thing, and it's very sad. It saddens me a lot to, to see that when people should be trying to help each other. The title of the book, Divine Intervention, The Messenger, Book One. And the author is Glenn Siegel. Glenn, tell us how to get your book. You can get it on Kindle, on any of the devices out there today. It's through AuthorHouse is my publisher. You can go to their AuthorHouse.com, and you can also go to my own site. It's DivineIntervention.com. That's D-E-V-I-N-E-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N.com. Just put my name in there, Glenn Siegel, and you'll come right to my site. Glenn, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. All right, thanks for having me, Steve, and have yourself a great day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Coming live from Seattle, Washington. 
home of the biggest and best internet companies on the World Wide Web. It's SEO Radio, starring Brandon Knott. Tuesday nights at 10 Central, 8 p.m. Pacific on Toginet.com. SEO Radio. This pioneering internet and social media entrepreneur will share some of his most super efficient opportunities with you, small business owners, and future entrepreneurs to help you build a future like Amazon or Expedia Online. There's never been a marketing strategy that's been so effective in allowing small businesses to compete with the big boys. And Brandon now helps you learn these easy as one, two, three. SEO. For more on Brandon, check out his website, SeattleOrganicSEO.com. SEO Radio. Get set for SEO Radio, starring Brandon Nye. Tuesday nights at 10 Central, 8 p.m. Pacific, on Toginet.com. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Sneaky Snake, and the author is Melissa Taylor, and Melissa joins us now on Author Talk with this great kid story. Hello, Melissa. Good morning. Good to have you with us, Sneaky Snake. Now, tell us about how Sneaky Snake came to be, and a little bit about you, your teaching background. Okay, well, I tell you what, Sneaky Snake came about one afternoon. Um, I'm an instructional assistant at Southern Elementary here in Falmouth, Kentucky. Um, one afternoon, the first bunch of kids had left, and I was sitting around with the remaining kids, who were mostly the country kids, and they were later buses. And we all gathered back on the carpet, and they were like, Tell us a story, Miss Taylor, tell us a story. And I'm like, What do you want me to tell you a story about today? And they're like, A snake. One little boy, he was determined <laughs> it was going to be about a snake. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I just started out of my head with a story about a snake, and Sneaky Snake was born. <laughs> well, Sneak, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the, the kids loved it, absolutely loved it, and it just grew and grew every time I told it. They requested it through that whole year, and into the next year, they still were talking about Sneaky Snake. So it just kind of left me where I am now, and um, I decided to look into having it published, and here I am. Well, here's the whole story as you write about it. Sneaky Snake is about a mean, grumpy snake that lives under a rock in the woods. None of the animals know why he's so angry. They just know to stay away from him and his rock. Sneaky Snake tells them over and over that he does not need anybody until one day, Sneaky Snake was proven wrong, and good thing a wise owl was there to teach him a lesson. So, great story. 
Thank you. Great story. Now, you know, when, you, when you're trying to create a story, and as you say, it just seemed to grow, why did you choose Betsy Cow? Well, you know, I think growing up as a kid, Betsy, I believe uh, we had a cow, and his name was Betsy. And just simple. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy wild animals or anything. Um, I wanted to keep it as simple. You know, kids, as long as it's entertaining, it doesn't matter what it is. So I kept it. Um, I had beagle dogs growing up. Um, since, you know, even married, we've had dogs, beagles, and animals. And I just kept it simple with a cow, a dog, a, an owl. You know, an owl was always known to be wise. And then, of course, they requested the snake. So that's how come we have sneaky snake. So I just kept it as simple as I could be, you know, as it could be, and just to make a point. Well, and uh, what is the point? What is the overall point of the story? Well, in life, and, and I know as an adult, you know, and, and probably you too, you've run across people in your life who are grumpy. You know, we, we don't know why, you know, but they just are. But it's at some point in our lives, and sometimes we have grumpy days, but you're going to need somebody. And it, it's such a good feeling to know that you have a good friend or you are a good friend. And I, I just wanted the point to be you know, even a simple smile. You know, you're, you're being nice, and, and being nice to others is important. And working with these children, a lot of times, you know, you're not my friend, and I'm not going to be your friend. And they can be really, really mean to each other. So I just wanted them to see, and I know through the illustrations of the book, I've had a lot of people comment that they see a lot of emotion. And that's what I wanted these characters to portray to the children. I wanted to see how hurtful it is when you are mean to other people. And Sneaky's favorite words are, I don't need anybody. Exactly. But in, in real life, we do. We all need somebody. And it's, it's such a great feeling to know that we have somebody and then that we can be there for someone else. And I think, you know, starting out with kids, you know, they only know what they're taught. So if we start this at an early age and we teach them, you know, to be a good friend, you know, to be happy, you know, and to feel good about being a good friend, you know, it, it's great. And I see it, you know, when I read this book to the kids and I have a little exercise when we're done that we do. And just to see their faces light up, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. How young a child can understand this book? Well, actually, I have a, a great-nephew, um, and my nephews were right with me through this whole process. And he is, uh, at the time, he was three. He's four now, but when I started this process, he was three. And he was totally addicted to the computer screen, because at, at that point, you know, everything I was doing was on the computer, and he loved it. Lo and fell in love with Betsy Cow. That was his favorite. And he sat and sat, and as soon as I would get done reading it on the computer, we would be done, and he'd say, Read it again, Mimi. Read it again. <laughs> and, he, you know, even he, at, at three, just totally related to the characters, you know, the story, you know, and was just totally into it. And it, it was just great. Well, the basic animals that you're using, a cow and a dog and a snake and an owl, and then the, the facial expressions, as you point out, with uh, showing the emotion, the feeling, just bring it to life. Yes, I, I, we laughed, um, even to the, I have had people comment about Betsy Cow, you know, her eyes, and I, I remember when I was describing this to the illustrator, even down to I wanted her eyelashes, you know, and that sadness in her eyelashes, just everybody to be able to look into her eyes and feel, you know, what she was feeling, because a kid, I mean, they're just cutting, you know, they're cut and dry, you're mean, you're nice, they like you or they don't, 
So I wanted them to be able, something that they could relate to, just that easy. I mean, and, and of course, with Betsy, they've seen her, you know, and you could even hear some of the children when I read it. They're like, oh, that's so sad. You know, he's so mean. And that's what I wanted. And even as adults, we have to deal, unfortunately, with angry people uh, sometimes on a daily basis. So it even makes us feel good as we read this. Yes, I have an, an aunt. Um, she is um, in her 70s, and she absolutely, she's one of my biggest fans. She absolutely loves the story. And, you know, because I know she'll go, and when I sit up at different places, I've had, you know, several book signings. And then I paint the kids' faces who come along. I'll paint Sneaky Snake on their faces. And my aunt, she's like, you know, I'm one of your biggest fans. She said, I love this story. She said, it is just a great story. So, so it, it has appealed to, to all ages. So is this the beginning of a series? Well, I hope so. Um, I've already got another story that I've just about finished. Um, it needs some tweaking here and there, but yeah, I think so. I hope so. We'll see how this how this ends. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, everyone, the title of the book is Sneaky Snake, and Melissa Taylor is the author. Melissa, tell us how to get your book. Well, actually, um, you can go to my website. I have a website. Um, you can go to authorhouse.com, and that is the publishing company that I use to create Sneaky Snake. It is available on barnesandnobles.com and um, amazon.com. But um, I do have a website where you can go and you can meet the characters. You can learn more about me and uh, the reason I have that Sticky Snake came about, and that's um, www.wix.com forward slash Melissa Taylor forward slash Sneaky Snake. Thanks, Melissa, for being on Author Talk. I appreciate you having me.